What's good, everybody? Good evening. I'm so excited that you guys are here, and I'm looking forward to tonight's experience. Listen, God has something great in store for us this evening, so I'm excited that you're with me, and I'm looking forward to enjoying what the Lord has already prepared. If you're ready to work, go ahead and press that share button. I need you to press that share button right now. Let's get the word out there. We're not going to waste any time tonight. We're going to jump right into this worship experience and we don't want you guys to miss anything so make sure that you spread the word you press that share button and listen i want to go ahead and invite my my friend my co-host pastor kagia scott into the virtual building let me see what pastor scott is pastor scott are you here man can i get in here and worship with you bruh Man, I'm Listen, so happy man. to be in here with y'all, man. Listen, I feel like Rudy, if you get the reference, man, I feel like, look, I just been waiting for a <laughs> shot, man, to get in here just, man, and to, and to swing the towel, man, and to celebrate <laughs> with you all and to worship with you, man. Thank you, man, for letting me in the door, man. I'm just, I'm just here to see what God has in store on today. Let's go. Look, you're bringing the energy already. I'm already excited about what uh, you're going to bring to this experience because, look, you have that effervescent uh, uh, energy, that contagious spirit. And tonight, I'm glad that you're here, man. I see you smiling. Let me see. I, I think there's something that just recently took place in your life, in your family's life. And I want to make sure that we celebrate what's going on in your neck of the woods. Man, I'm telling you, we just had a graduation, man, and it wasn't the first graduation. It wasn't the second graduation, but we had three boys, man, and the third one, my last born, just graduated from high school. So it's Come a on. new era for the Scots around here, and I'm just grateful <laughs> to God, man, that they all graduated. Gradu some of them graduated early, man, doing good. Scholarships coming in. Man, we good around here, man. I'm just happy uh, uh, to, to, to be benefiting from God's yeah. grace in the Scott house, man. That's not all, man. You ain't asked me this, but you know, I'm talking about my kids, man. I got to talk about my wife, man. Listen, we in the valley of the shadow of death right here in the quarantine, dude. But I'm going to tell you what, man, me and my wife been getting closer and closer every day. Look, if y'all ain't taking advantage of this time, if you married <laughs> and you ain't taking advantage, man, of this quarantine, <laughs> you tripping, okay? Right, right. <laughs> Say that again, man. Well, look, look, you're celebrating your wife, and I'm excited for both of you as you're getting closer to each other during this quarantine time. But look, I got to throw this up on the screen just so that people can see who we're talking about, because this is your young son yes. this is mind-blowing man he has graduated yeah. and we celebrate his amazing accomplishment this is a huge milestone for you guys man don't get too excited now that he yeah are you all about to be empty nesters what is what does this mean yo man ain't nobody coming back home man <laughs> when they fly dude they fly man Doc. <laughs> my oldest son is going on to grad school the other one's still in college man and this was gonna leave and look we did yeah. our job doc we did yeah. it. <laughs> you did. You did. And I got to celebrate your, your parenting. Um, you guys did a great job. Now enjoy this new season. I believe that this next season is going to be the best season of your lives. And Dude, we got a head start. <laughs> Let's go. Well, look, I also want to throw this up here real fast because we're running um, this evening. I'm really excited to hear the word of God that will be preached by none other than Andrew Nixon. But before Amen. we move on, I want you to tell the people a, a little bit about this. Okay, we just got finished with our first uh, ever NBA 2K online tournament. Listen, just, just the idea, you know, from the Holy Ghost, we know we don't have any of our own ideas. The Holy Ghost dropped it on us. Listen, we've been doing yeah. so much to keep the people in church feeling like they were going to church, but just realizing that we hadn't been doing as much for the young people. 
you know, and yeah. so uh, just had the idea. Listen, they play video games all day long. Let's let's give them an opportunity to play video games uh, uh, yeah. uh, it, with the church environment, play against other folks that go to church. And so we put this out here, man. We had people sign up from all over the country, man. We had two winners, uh, uh, one on PS4 and one on 2K. I mean, on yeah. um, Xbox, man. And so we gave them both a pair of Jordans, man, of their choice. And so uh, we're just excited to be able to do that. And we'll run it back again. Yes, yes. I hope you and do. And when I say we, I when I say we, man, I don't want to I don't want to act like I got all the ideas and it's all me, man. I got a partner in ministry, man. Austin yeah. Humphreys, man, has been down like four flat tires, man. He's been with me hey. every step of the way, man. And we bounce ideas off each other. We've been ministering together during this time of quarantine, man. And I want to give a big shout out to him, man, for for dragging this old man along. I'm about to say it, it seems like you're dragging him along, but I'm not gonna say nothing. Uh, no, we love you, Pastor Austin Humphreys. We got to talk a little bit of smack. Well, listen, listen. I want to celebrate um, your presence, but last night, man, last night uh, we had a power packed word brought to us by Pastor Melvin Warfield. He came through and ripped this place apart. That word was powerful, on point. And then our co our host and co-host, Pastor D and Pastor Richard Martin. We celebrate both of them. I want you guys to know that this week we got a lot of good things in store. We have tomorrow, none other than Pastor Richard Martin, who's going to be preaching. Then on Tuesday, we have Pastor Laurent Grovner coming through. And who do we have on Wednesday? Man, on Wednesday, we got Michael Kelly coming in the house, man. And, and Thursday, we got Roger Hernandez. We're excited mm -hmm. for Friday where Leslie Pollard is coming in. And Saturday, yeah. Saturday we don't know who's night. coming. I know somebody <laughs> knows, but I don't know. Yeah, well, listen, my dad isn't in the stream yet. I know he starts to give out some some um, incentives uh, for those who want to join his team. Let me go ahead and bring him in real quick. Dr. Doggett, our sensei, thank you for joining us this day. We've now launched into week three, Doc. Can you believe it? Yes, sir. Week three. It seems like it just started yesterday. It's getting better and better. Yes, it is. <laughs> yes, it is. You got Kiki and Scott on here, man. Hey, what's up, Pop? Everybody like this? How did you yep. get him on? You had to talk Look, to your people had to talk to his people and make it happen. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Well, and his people got back. Yeah, yeah, they got, they got back. They got back away. right away. With this energy. You got it, bro. Take the mic. Listen. <laughs> hey, well, I'll tell you, because I got it. Can I give it up for the sensei? I know JD's trying to roll on. He's trying to roll on today, but he brought the wrong man in here today. If you're trying to roll, <laughs> I'm looking at the sensei right here, man. This is the man who told me, listen, it's all right. Go ahead and marry that woman that you married. And it's been 21 years. This is the man on. that told me one day it's time for you to go into the ministry. And I I said, yes, Pops, I'm going. This is the man, that, the first guy that hired me in ministry and probably did a letter of recommendation for me to get the job I got now. And so I just want to give all props to my Pops. Hey. Senior. Dog. Thank, Thank you, sir, man. You're one of my favorite people in all the world. I don't know if you're going to be able to make it, though, with no kids in the house and no noise. I can see you walking around the house just shouting your, never mind. I don't even want to get into oh, it. We got noise. We got noise. Yeah, oh, here we go. Here we go. Yeah. Let, 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 let's keep moving, Dr. Doggett, because look, I want to go ahead and dive right into the sensei uh, moderation moment. We want to ensure that Andrew Nixon has as much time as possible. So I want you, Dr. Doggett, to jump right in. What do you have on your heart? What do you have on your mind? We're, we're here. We're ready to, to receive. Let me just say three myths are being busted. 
in mm -hmm. this particular revival. Three myths are being busted. Go to Acts right. 2, verses 17 and 18. No need to get off the screen. I'm going to be quick. Acts 2, right. 17 and 18, where the Pentecostal sermon of Peter is rehearsed. Peter got up and he basically started preaching about the falling of the Holy Ghost that he said this, and it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will yeah. pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your mm -hmm. sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young oh, yeah. men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servant, and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in these days and they shall prophesy. Now that is a prophetic message. Number one, that Peter preaches at Pentecost, the Holy Ghost falls and he starts preaching prophecy because that's found in Joel 2, 28. He starts interpreting prophecy and it was so powerful. Over 3000 people were baptized. And that particular text tells me that in this revival, three myths have been busted. Myth number one, prophecy won't preach. He preached prophecy, 3,000 went down. And we've been hearing prophetic messages that have been classic and need to be heard again and again. Prophecy will preach. Number two, the young and the old can get along. And young folks do preach prophecy. I've heard too many people saying, ah, oh, these young guys, I don't know what this foolishness is they're preaching. Well, tune in to the Quarantine Revival 2 Prophecy Edition, and you'll hear them handling prophecy like they know what they're doing. They do preach prophecy, and old guys and young guys can get along together. I love being around the young guys and the old guys, and you've had both coming on preaching. I'm not going to classify who is old. And in fact, again, you just told us that your last one graduated from high school. So I'm looking on my screen, I see young and not so young anymore. So young and old together, man, there's no there's no wall. And then the third myth, women can preach. Women can preach. The Holy say Ghost, that. The Holy Ghost is gonna fall and is falling on men and women, young men and young women. It's falling on women just like it's falling on men. And you've had three women preach already, and I don't need to say anything other than they preach. And you got one more coming. And all of these preachers are full of the Holy Ghost and God is talking loudly and clearly. So I want to say that this particular revival is killing some myths. And if people keep saying this foolishness, I'm just going to tell them, go and look at the tapes. Go over to YouTube and look at the recordings because I'm telling you, you're wrong. That's it. Absolutely. That's it for me. Holy Ghost falls. Hey. It happens. Prophecy is unfolded and revealed, and that's been going on here by young and old. Mm -hmm. That's a good word. That's a good word, Sensei. Uh, listen, listen, uh, Pastor Kagia Scott. Now you had the awesome privilege, and I was I was thinking that I would want to do this, but I said, you know what, you're my co-host. So let me go ahead and and offer you the opportunity to introduce tonight's speaker. Now I'm going to say this before I allow you to introduce him. After which we'll go right into our song of meditation and preparation. Then we'll hear the word. And then we'll come back, offer the people an opportunity to give. But before you give the introduction, let me just say that I know this preacher too. I'm just going to throw this in there real quick. Pastor Andrew Nixon and I go back all the way to when we were, what, five years old. I remember he and I were in Miss Delma Harvey's multi-grade class. And I'll never forget how this boy 
um, Andrew Nixon and I got into a fight. We fought Ooh. because Andrew was trying to use the microwave during lunchtime when I was trying to use the microwave during lunchtime. And I'll never forget it. We fought and we made up and we were good friends after that. And it's, it's our bond has never been broken. He actually has his birthday in the same month that I have my birthday. Look, I'm not going to say anything else. Go ahead. Tell us who we got preaching for us tonight, Pastor Scott. Listen, we got the 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 perpetual youth minister, <laughs> yes, Andrew Nixon, who I met years ago and hasn't changed one iota. This man mm -hmm. has a brand new child in the house and one on the way, and he still looks the same as he did when I brought him to preach at my church when he was in college. First time I heard mm -hmm. him preach, man, listen, I still got evidence of that sermon in my iTunes library. I can still go back to one of the most power-packed seven minutes I ever heard. The name of that sermonette was Fruit Snacks. We brought yes. a bunch of preachers down to my church and they rocked the house. Listen, we brought some young preachers from Oakwood to my church. One of them was Andrew Nixon. And, and when he got up there, they said, who is this? Who is this young man? And But when he started preaching the word of God, man, we will never forget that sermon that he preached in my Olive SD church man on that Saturday night and I'm so glad to be able to call him my friend today listen every time I call him he tells me he loves to hear my stories and just shake his head Kagia. He just he just loves to shake his head like he's my uncle. That's disappointing to me. But I just love him to death, and I love to call him and tell him my stories. And I'm glad to have him and be able to announce that he's about to preach to us tonight because when he stands in front of a microphone and begins to preach the word of God, you will know that the Holy Ghost has been talking to him. This man of one wife, her name is Hannah. He has one son right now. His name is Philip. He has one on the way. Pray for the brother. And he has two churches is one Franklinton SDA and one Mount Hebron SDA, both in North Carolina. He preaches to those churches, but tonight he's preaching for all of us. Hear ye him. He's bringing the word of God. Spirit of living God. Spirit of living God. Only want to hear your voice hanging on every word. Spirit of the living God, Spirit of the living God, we want to know you more and more. Hanging on every word. When you speak, when you move, when you do you can do changes us changes what we see and what we see when you come in the room when you tell only you can do 
generations of damage One word can destroy generations of curses One word, one word, one word, one word You said your word We were healed, we were saved, we were free So send your word, send your word Turn to you, void. We need one word. It will accomplish what you said it'd do. One word. What kind of God is this that it takes one word? What kind of man is this? It takes one word. I'm excited to invite Pastor Andrew Nixon into the live stream this evening. Thank you for coming, Pastor. Uh, the floor is now yours. We're ready to hear the word of God. We're praying with you. And we're excited about what the Lord is about to do. Amen. Thank you. Thank you so much, uh, Pastor Doggett. Uh, good evening, everyone. Uh, it is my, my joy and my privilege to be able to be on with you this evening, joining in with this quarantine revival uh, part two, uh, the prophecy edition. And I want to thank Pastor Doggett, my friend, as he mentioned, we go back many years for inviting me on and for giving me this challenge um, to go into the prophetic word and to study. And I've really enjoyed my time studying this passage and, um, and just preparing to share what I believe God has has put on my heart this evening. Uh, we have been doing this uh, church over uh, the internet now for some time, but I'm still not used to it. I have to say, I do it every Sabbath with my churches. We do it via Zoom. And uh, I don't like preaching to a screen. Y'all got to pray for me. It's, it's strange. Uh, I don't see anybody's faces. I don't hear anything. But uh, by God's grace, I've just been praying all day and, and since yesterday that uh, his spirit would would uh, use uh, the means that we have. I believe God can use anything. I hope you believe that. And uh, as as he uses uh, these earthen vessels, he can uh, do a mighty work. And so I, I don't want to uh, labor on for long. I want to thank Pastor Scott for the introduction, my friend. We He's right down the road from me in North Carolina. Uh, thank you for the introduction. Tell your wife we said hello. 
I appreciate the energy you brought tonight. I, I could feel it through the screen. And then also I want to say hello to my, my preaching professor, uh, Pastor uh, Doggett Sr. Now I'm hoping and praying that you don't have those sheets out that you use when we were in school and in preaching class and that you're not taking down notes and grading us like you used to do back then. Uh, when Pastor Warfield finished last night, and I heard you talking about his, you appreciated his cadence and his his word vocabulary and the different words he used. I said, man, this reminds me of how he used to evaluate us at the end of our sermons. <laughs> and, and, I, and I had some flashbacks. But um, I, I, um, I pray that uh, the Holy Spirit takes the lead tonight. And I'm excited to get into God's word, and I hope you are as well. So I will not long belabor the point any longer. I'm in the book of Revelation this evening, the seventh chapter, Revelation chapter seven, and I'm going to read for you verses one through four, uh, Revelation chapter seven, verses one through four. Bear with me this evening. I don't, uh, because we have a lot of ground to carry, I'm not going to have time for us to, to just uh, have everyone turn to every passage, but I'll be sure to have them put all the passages on the screen and you can take notes. So you can go back and read over them later. Revelation chapter 7, verses 1 through 4. I'm reading from the New King James Version of the Word of God. The Word of God says, After these things, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, on the sea, or any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth, and the sea, saying, do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees, till we have healed the servants of our God, or till we have sealed, rather, the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. I'd like to talk to you for uh, the, the remaining time that we have this evening on the message that I've entitled, They're Singing our song. They're singing our song. Let's pray. Father and our God, we, we thank you for bringing us to this moment, for giving us this opportunity to be able to share in your word. Lord, you know that I am but a feeble uh, vessel. I have all of my issues and imperfections, God, but I pray this evening as you uh, come by here through the power of your spirit that you would use me, God, not to lift up the name of Andrew Nixon, but to lift up the name of Jesus Christ, that all who are tuned in here tonight will be able to see your son high and lifted up through your word, and that by seeing him, Lord, we'll be challenged, we'll be encouraged, and we'll better be able to serve you, Lord. We ask these things in the name of Jesus and for his sake. Amen and amen. As John, the revelator, takes us through the events that happened to him that caused him to write the revelation of Jesus Christ, he reveals to us a scene in chapter five that is of great significance. In this scene, God is seen sitting on a throne holding a scroll. The Bible says this scroll has seven seals on it. A strong angel, the Bible says, comes up and he asks this important question, who is worthy? to take the scroll and open its seals. 
There is not a lot of explanation that the Bible gives at this point. But evidently, this seal is extremely important because John begins to weep because as they look all over, the Bible says they search heaven and earth and even under the earth just to make the point that they've looked everywhere and they are not able to find anyone who's able to open this seal, to open these seals and unloose the scroll. And so John begins to cry because he's just disheartened over this fact. And then right as he is weeping and it seems as though uh, his hopes are going to be disappointed. The Bible tells us that John is comforted. They tell him, don't weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah has conquered. And so he's worthy to take the scroll and not only take the scroll, but to loose the seals on the scroll. And then the Bible says that John looks and he sees a lamb looking as if it had been slain who comes and takes the scroll. And then all heaven, not all hell, but all heaven breaks loose. The Bible tells us that the elders and the living creatures and myriads and myriads of angels begin to worship the lamb that was slain from the foundations of the earth. They all just begin to fall down and they begin to cast their, their crowns and, and they just fall out and just begin to cry out, worthy is the lamb that was slain, worthy is the lamb. And there's just this beautiful scene of worship. Because Jesus was the one who died to pay the penalty for our sins. And so he's worthy to redeem us. He's worthy to save us. He's worthy to sustain us. And as I read the story, I, I begin to wonder my, to myself, why did the Bible portray the story this way? You see, uh, when John first sees this scroll with these seals on it, they don't just come to him and say, hey, we know about a lamb who's able to open these seals on this scroll. They say, at first, we're not able to find anybody, and it seems like it's an it's a it's a uh, it's a open secret that everybody knows that the lamb is the only one who's able to open it. But John doesn't know, and then when John is at his lowest point and 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 he's wondering about uh, if anyone's going to be able to open this, then they tell him, "Look, there's the lion of the tribe of Judah," and when he looks, he sees the lamb slain from the foundations of the world. The Bible sets it up this way to, to build tension, to, to, to give us a story that the greatest producers and writers in Hollywood could never write if they thought about it for a million years. They show to us the importance of this lamb, that the lamb is all powerful and the lamb is worthy of worship. Then in chapter six, six of the seven seals that are said to be on this scroll are open. The Bible tells us that with each seal, there are certain events that take place. We don't have time to deal with all of those this evening, but suffice to say, these seals represent time periods throughout the history of the Christian church. And then by the time we get down to the sixth of these seven seals, it becomes clear that we are near the end of Earth's history because uh, Revelation chapter 6 verses 15 through 17. Revelation chapter 6, verses 15 through 17 says this in speaking about what happens after the sixth seal is open. It says, and the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, 
fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come and who is able to stand? Final judgments are now ready to be pronounced and everyone is afraid of what is going to happen. Who among us in face of the judgment is worthy to stand before God? That is the question that chapter six asks and does not answer, but leaves that question hanging with us on the edges of our seat as we wonder who among us will be able to make it through the wrath of the lamb. As we go into chapter seven, we basically see a scene where everything that's getting ready to break loose on the earth is being held back by the four angels. Then we see another angel coming down with the seal of the living God, and he tells the angels who are holding back God's judgments, I'm paraphrasing, don't hurt anyone or anything until we mark the servants of our God with his seal on their foreheads. With this setting in mind, I know I thought, and I'm sure you would think, every person who is thinking that they might possibly be alive at the end of earth's history must be thinking to themselves, if God's going to let loose all of his judgments on everyone who doesn't have this seal, what is this seal and how can I get it? That is obviously of the utmost importance as we read this text. I was thinking about it and I read, you know, when, when the latest iPhone comes out or the newest pair of Jordans, everybody is in line and waiting because they want to get that item because it, it, to them it just seems like they can't live without it. People will line up for days in advance to make sure they get the, lightest, the latest item. Well, look, can you imagine if the judgment is getting ready to come and there's a seal that will allow you to be able to make it through it? I think everybody on earth will line up to be able to get that seal because nobody wants to receive the wrath of the Lamb. So if this is the question, uh, how, what is the seal and how we can how can we get it? This is the question that I seek to answer this evening from God's word. Now, in seeking the meaning of this seal, we must recognize first off that Revelation is a book of prophecy and symbols. We do not interpret it the same way we would a narrative passage in the Gospel of John or a historical section from the book of 2 Kings. You have to find the symbols in Revelation find the meaning of those symbols, and then link them to their appropriate significance. In looking at this seal, perhaps you, like I, have heard some say that the meaning of this is already clear and settled. Ephesians tells us exactly what it is. Maybe you've heard someone say that. Uh, in the Let's look at the evidence, rather, that Ephesians has to see about this seal. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13. I'm going to put it on the screen. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13 states this. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the promise, with the Holy Spirit of promise. And then Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30 says this. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. In context, in context, Paul writing to the church of Ephesus is speaking in both of these passages to believers in Jesus Christ. And he references how when they accepted Christ, 
They were given the Holy Spirit as a sign of their conversion and as a promise or God's way of down, giving a down payment of his intent to redeem them one day. Some say that this is the root of the meaning of the seal in Revelation 7. But my question this evening, is this the best explanation of what the text is trying to say? I can see the reasoning for seeing these Ephesian texts as the uh, bedrock for what John is saying over, over in Revelation chapter 7. But let's pause and investigate this together a little further. In Scripture, hear me, in Scripture, symbols can be used multiple times with different meanings based upon their context. For instance, 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8 states that, our adversary, the devil, goes about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. But in Revelation 5, as I mentioned, the Bible also speaks of the lion of the tribe of Judah. If we simply looked at the fact that the symbol of Satan as a lion is used in 1 Peter, we might conclude that the lion in Revelation 5 has to be Satan. But based on the context that I showed you, that would make absolutely no sense. Satan did not die for me, and he is not worthy to do anything on my behalf. What we have to understand is that Bible prophecy is filled with symbols that represent something else. However, we have to be careful when interpreting these symbols because a symbol is just that. A symbol is a teaching tool, an illustration that a writer uses to make a point. You must look carefully at the context of a symbol in the way that it is used from one location in scripture to see if that is what is being alluded to or referenced in another part of scripture. And we must never assume that we know what it is too quickly. With that in mind, there are a few things that I noticed from my study of the passage of Revelation 7 and trying to discern what the seal of God is. That When I studied this, I had a little bit of pause in concluding that the Holy Spirit is the seal mentioned in Revelation chapter 7. And I will explain to you a couple of things that uh, just in reading uh, came to my mind. Maybe you'll understand them. If people receive the seal of the Holy Spirit already at conversion, and we saw that clearly in Ephesians, why would they need to receive it again at the end of time just before the second coming? As I stated, Revelation 6 shows us the opening of the seven seals, one after the other. But the scene in Revelation 7 pauses the opening of the seventh seal, and Revelation goes out of its way to show us this scene. Are we to believe that the, the writer of Revelation does all of this simply to show us an angel saying, hold up, hold up? And before God lets out all of his fury on all of mankind, I want us to stop and seal people with something that they already have. Think about that with me. If we believe the Holy Spirit is already given to us at conversion, and this seal is the Holy Spirit. Why would they go out of their way to show us that the Holy Spirit is being given to someone again? And then the second point that I noticed that made me uh, get some pause as I was reading this passage. It says, uh, why is this seal specifically mentioned as being placed on the forehead when the location of the seal of the Holy Spirit mentioned in Ephesians isn't specified? This has some significance 
that must be accounted for. And so we want to look at that this evening and study in Revelation. I believe it is so important to understand that all of its strange symbols, its beasts, its numbers and people are intricately tied to the Old Testament. I read one scholar say that Revelation has as many as 2,200 allusions to Old Testament passages of Scripture. Revelation almost never just directly quotes something from the Old Testament. Like in, you might read in the Gospels, Jesus will say, you have heard that it said, and he's quoting something from the Old Testament. Revelation references the Old Testament a lot, but it never just directly quotes it. And so we have to pay attention to the imagery and things that are being stated and used in Revelation and find their Old Testament roots. In the Old Testament, I believe if we look there, we will find a better explanation for the seal of God in the context of Revelation chapter 7. In the Old Testament, God had signs that he specifically mentioned wanting to be on the foreheads of the Israelites, his people. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, as God is getting ready to lead his people into the promised land. He restates the Ten Commandments. They're getting ready to go into the promised land. And in chapter five, he restates the Ten Commandments because he wants them to remember these commandments. They're important. Then as he goes into Deuteronomy chapter six, he says something that I want us to notice here. Deuteronomy six, starting at verse five and going down to verse eight. The word of God says, Love the Lord your God. I'm reading from the NIV on this passage. With all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them, get this, notice this. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your forehead. Immediately, immediately upon reading this, we see imagery in the Old Testament that it seems Revelation 7 is drawing from. God told Israel, I want my commandments to be something you focus on so much that symbolically they become a part of you like they were on your hand or even on your foreheads. The hand was a symbol of the actions that you do. Your forehead is right where your mind is. We want these commandments to be internalized, to become a part of who you are. And this was to show the people's internalization of the way of God for their own good. But I believe the Bible, going a step further, we see this imagery of the foreheads, the commandments being on the foreheads and the hand. I believe the Bible gives an even clearer picture of what this seal is before Deuteronomy was even written. Look with me at Exodus chapter 31. Exodus chapter 31, starting at verse 13. The word of God says this, speak also to the children of Israel saying, surely my Sabbath you shall keep. For it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. You shall keep the Sabbath, therefore, for it is holy to you. Everyone who profanes it shall surely be put to death. For whoever does any work on it, that person shall be cut off from among his people. Work shall be done for six days, but the seventh is the Sabbath of rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day, he shall surely be put to death. Therefore, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant. And then get this in verse 17. It is a sign 
between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days, the Lord made the heaven and the earth. And on the seventh day, he rested and he was refreshed. If you read this in context, it seems like God's reminder about the Sabbath is completely out of place. In Exodus chapter 25, he tells the children of Israel, I want you to build me a sanctuary that I may dwell among you. This was important because God is a God of intimacy, a God of closeness. He doesn't want to just rule his people from some far off place. After he brought the children of Israel out of their slavery in Egypt, he says, look, I, I want to come down and be close to you. So build a sanctuary. And then in chapters 26 through 30, he explains all of the imagery and the things that he wants them to build for the sanctuary. And then right in this context, he then gives them this command about the Sabbath. It seems out of place. He's sitting here talking about uh, building the sanctuary and the furniture and the dimensions for the sanctuary. But then he pauses and says, I want you to remember something about the Sabbath. Why does he give this command here about the Sabbath right in this context? I believe if you understand what the Sabbath really means, it becomes clear. Stay with me this evening. Perhaps you have been socialized to think that the Sabbath is a day where we prove to God how much we love him by not working, not turning on the TV, going to church and going home and taking a nap. Perhaps that's how you've been socialized to think of the Sabbath. If you do these things, you're good with God. But if you don't, then you are in trouble. But I want to suggest to you today that the Sabbath is so much more than that. Like I said, God is a God of intimacy, a God who has always been crazy about getting close to you and I. Therefore, when God created the Sabbath, before there were even any Israelites, any Jews, it was his way of setting aside a special time for him and his creation where they could strengthen their relationship and where he could show his people just how much they need him for everything. The Sabbath has many meanings. Once a week, it reminds us that God created us and that reminds us of our purpose in a fallen world. But also once a week when we stop and do not work, we are reminded that while we have jobs that give us a means to provide for ourselves, we trust that if we work six days and take one day off, we will remember that all that we have comes from God and that he can take a man who loves him with six days worth of money and make it go further than a man who doesn't love him with seven days worth of money. The Sabbath shows us that. But then even more than that, the Sabbath is not just about physical and emotional and financial rest. The Sabbath is about salvation. I don't have time to go there and explain it fully, but the writer of Hebrews in chapter four was dealing with some Jewish Christians who were tempted. You go and read the book of Hebrews. It's writing to some Jewish people who were Jewish by their ethnic ethnicity, and they had grown up in the Jewish faith. But they had heard about Jesus and they had come into the Christian church. But now they were contemplating leaving the church and going back to all of the traditions and commands and everything that they knew in their Jewish faith before they knew Jesus Christ. And so the writer of Hebrews writes to them and his whole argument in Hebrews is simple. It's this. Jesus 
is greater than anything else you think you're going to find apart from him. And in him, everything finds its truest meaning and purpose. So you could go back to your, your, your old religion and, and celebrate feasts and commands and all these different things, but you cannot leave Jesus. I, I was reminded as I was thinking about this of a story of my, my grandmother on my mother's side was near the end of her life. 90 plus years, the Lord had blessed her and she was she was sick near the end of her life. It wasn't per se a specific sickness, but she had just kind of lost her appetite. Grandma was losing weight and she was withering away. And I've been in the Adventist church my entire life. And I'm sure there's a few people who have it. And you guys can probably relate to what I'm about to say. Whenever somebody is sick in the Adventist church, if you stay around long enough, you'll find somebody who will come around and tell you about some herb or some juice or some special remedy that you can find that will heal whatever sickness that you have. That always happens in the Adventist church. I think it's something about our belief in the health message or what. Somebody always has some sort of special potion. Don't take those pills from the doctor, they'll tell you. I've got the solution that will cure all of your ills. And when my grandmother had lost her appetite, somebody came to someone in my family. I don't remember exactly who it was. but Somebody came to someone in my family and told us about this juice called Noni juice, N-O-N-I. Perhaps you've heard of it before. And they said, look, if your grandmother drinks this noni juice, then it'll give her her appetite back and she'll be able to eat and be well again. Now, now, I, I, I might say something that will seem critical of this noni juice and I'm not attacking the noni juice. Uh, and I want to be clear. I'm just explaining what we heard at the time. So if I'm sure there's probably somebody out there who knows about this noni juice. And if I say something negative, they're probably going to send me a message in my Facebook and try to explain to me how great it is and send me a link to their website. I don't I don't want any of that right now. I'm just going to explain it as it happened. Right. And so this noni juice was supposed to be able to make my grandma retain her 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 appetite and be able to eat again. But as, as people were explaining the greatness of this juice, I mean, it could do everything. It'll make your, your skin clear. It'll, 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 uh, it'll clear up everything, every issue that you have. And, and somebody spoke about how it will also help you lose weight. And I began to think to myself, wow, well, if this juice can do all of that, does it have some sort of uh, self-consciousness to be able to know what issue to be able to address in a person? Because if my grandma drinks this thing, she don't need to lose any weight. So if, if my grandma drinks this thing, is it going to help her to eat the French fry or spit it out? Uh, and, and I just began to think to myself, this is a little bit crazy. People are advertising this noni juice and saying that it can do everything. Somehow it can make the hungry person or the starving person eat and make the person who's overweight lose weight at the same time. It seemed like this noni juice could do everything that you could think of. And I want you to understand that that's what the writer of Hebrews was trying to say. He was saying that Jesus is kind of like that noni juice. You see, it doesn't matter what your problem is. 
Jesus has his own consciousness. If you take him in, he'll solve every problem you'll have. He'll be food for the hungry. He'll be weight loss for those who are overweight. He'll be money for those who are broke. He'll be healing for those who are sick. Jesus has every remedy for every problem that you have. And if you just take him in, he'll solve every issue that you're dealing with. That's what the writer of Hebrews was trying to explain to the believers. Look, you can't leave Jesus. And so that as, as he goes through the book, he makes this argument about righteousness by faith. And he explains that the people will never be able to obtain salvation through their works of good behavior and law keeping and, and all their rituals and things that they thought were going to help them to ultimately be saved. And then in chapter four, he explains that just as God rested when he wasn't even physically tired, he's talking about creation. God worked and created this world in six days. And then on the seventh day, he rested, but he wasn't even tired. Uh, the writer of Hebrews takes this imagery of what the Sabbath represented. And he explains that when God rested, when he wasn't even tired, we have to rest in him for our salvation. And he says in speaking about the Sabbath, there remains therefore a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest was has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. And so the point that the writer of Hebrews is making is that the Sabbath is not just about what is going on in this world, but knowing that salvation is by grace through faith alone. When we rest each Sabbath, it is a reminder that we can do absolutely positively nothing to save ourselves. And it is our job to accept the righteousness of Jesus Christ and then rest in his all-sufficient work of justification, sanctification, and ultimately glorification. That's what the Sabbath means. This is why Exodus said that the Sabbath is a sign that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. When God was reminding Israel about the Sabbath in the context of building the sanctuary, it was perfect timing. He wanted them to know in building this, don't violate our time that is set up just for us, because I want to always remind you how much you need me, and I want to spend time with you. And when God set aside this Sabbath, he created a memorial that would remind his people that whenever they observed this day, they were saying, I live in a crazy world where I can make a myriad of choices about how I will live my life, but at the same time, I have come to recognize that with everything else going on, if I put one ounce of trust in my own opinion or my own ideas, even in religious things, I will fail. And when I keep Sabbath, it is a way of crying out, Lord, I need you. I need you for my food. I need you for my breath. I need your direction. And Lord, I need you to save me. And so while you may know or you may be someone who observes the Sabbath in a legalistic form where you think you earn some salvation points with God because you observe a day of the week. If you understand the Sabbath the right way in all of its fullness, it is hear me here. If you hear nothing else I say tonight, hear this. If you understand the Sabbath in all of its fullness in the right way, it is impossible, I said impossible, to truly observe the Sabbath 
and to be a legalist. I'm going to say that again. It is impossible to be a true Sabbath keeper and to be a legalist. Rather than being a sign that I think I can earn my salvation, keeping the Sabbath is supposed to be the sign that I know without a shadow of a doubt that I am a wretched sinner, that I have no hope in this world if I seek to try to save myself. But I know a great Savior who died on Calvary's cross, and, and I'm going to rest on this day because when I do that, I'm saying I'm resting in Jesus because I'm safe in the arms of Jesus and I have no hope without him. That's what it means to keep the Sabbath. So then, so then in context, in the context of this point we're making about the seal of God and what we see in the Old Testament, <clears throat> to show that to us, God said, the commandments would be on his people's foreheads as they followed him. And then notice what we showed in Exodus 31. He specifically singled out the seventh day Sabbath as a sign out of all of the commandments, the distinguishing sign that he is God and they are his people. You can read through the whole Bible and you won't see God saying this commandment, thou shalt not murder or thou shalt not steal is a sign that I am your God. The Sabbath is specifically uh, pointed out as that sign that shows the relationship between God and his people. And there is significance to why God did this this way. Perhaps you've heard that God said, remember the Sabbath. And he said it was a sign because he knew that Satan was going to try to attack the Sabbath and change it. And while that is true, I think that is missing the larger point that God is making about his Sabbath. In the Old Testament, God had this habit of giving the children of Israel some kind of ritual command that in and of itself only served as a sign to Israel to remind them of something significant. What, what, what are you talking about, Pastor Nixon? Let me explain it. In other words, these commands, these sign commandments, were not commandments that were for your good or for the good of others, like don't worship idols or you shall not murder. We can all objectively see the logic behind those commands. And as a matter of fact, many of the laws in this world are based upon the Ten Commandments. Instead, however, when God would give his people a ritual command, it would be linked to something that was arbitrary, not something that was necessarily logical. Something that was special to God, but not necessarily objectively significant. However, when kept between two people in relationship, namely God and Israel, they had special significance that would symbolically acknowledge a deeper truth. Let me give an example of this. So, so my wife and I have been married for almost seven years now. It's been a blessing. I think my wife is watching. I love you, babe. And, I, and I've, I've enjoyed all of this time and I'm looking forward to much more. Uh, but we have, in, in, in our marriage, decided to follow certain principles that I would argue are universal. That everybody who is married and trying to have a successful marriage should follow. So, for instance, we have committed to loving each other unconditionally. That's not an arbitrary thing. That's something that everybody would universally say you should do. 
We have committed to trying to put the other before ourselves. So I try to put my wife before she before myself, and she tries to do the same for me. We have committed to taking care of each other in sickness and in health. We have committed to loving each other at our best and at our worst. All of those things are what we would call objectively good ideas that any married couple should follow, right? They're not unique to us. They are things that everybody should follow. However, we have something else that I want to tell you we do. On June the 30th, June the 30th of this month, my wife and I will celebrate seven years of marriage. That's our anniversary. And I can guarantee you, I think it's a Tuesday this year, I can guarantee you that my wife and I are going to go out and get some frozen custard on our anniversary. Some of you may be talking about what on earth is frozen custard? If you don't know, you need to find out. Go and look it up. Frozen custard is like ice cream on steroids. It's wonderful. And you see what happened is that our second anniversary, my wife and I, I had gone to this nice, uh, expensive restaurant. We didn't have much money. We were broke in, in Michigan at Andrews. And we just took the money that we had and went to this nice restaurant. We had to dress up in suits and ties. And, and we were the only people who uh, looked like us in the restaurant, if you know what I mean. And we, we, we paid the money and we got this food and it was good food. But you know, the thing about these expensive restaurants is that uh, that you pay a whole bunch of money and they give you food that tastes good, but they give you a little bit of food. And so so we, we after it was over, we were still kind of hungry. We wanted some dessert. And somebody had told us about frozen custard, that it was wonderful. You need to try it. So we went and found this place that sold frozen custard. And I got to confess, I'm not vegan. I'm not there. For those of you who are, I'm not knocking you or anything like that. But we went and got this frozen custard and it was amazing. We loved it. And we ate that thing. We killed it. I remember sitting in that car. We didn't have much money. We shared one of those frozen cousins and we ate it. And ever since that time, we did that on our anniversary. Every June 30th, no matter where we are, when we moved here to North Carolina, one of the first things we did is we looked up to see where's the nearest frozen custard restaurant. Because for us in our marriage, we have a tradition where on June the 30th, celebrating our anniversary, even if we can't go and get to a nice restaurant to sit down because we got kids now, we will at least go out and get ourselves some frozen custard. Now, all of the other things that I told you we do in our marriage, like I said, those things are not arbitrary. Those are things that, that are uh, significant to everybody, but that thing is something that has significance only because it's between me and my wife. I can sit down and have custard with some of you one day, a man or woman or whoever, but it's not going to have the same significance to me that it has when I sit down and do it with my wife because it's our tradition and we do it on our day and it reminds us about how we love each other and that we've made this commitment that it's just she and I and we're remembering all that we've been through and that we still love one another. And I want you to understand that out of all of the commandments of God, God singled out the Sabbath as a sign that would remind the children of Israel that they need him for everything. And the Sabbath had this arbitrary part to it that is unlike any of the other commands. In all of God's other commands, you can see that, look, these, these commandments, they make sense. They're logical. But for some reason, this fourth commandment that God gave 
was not necessarily logical. If you think about it, why the seventh day and not the fifth day or the third day? Is there any logic behind saying this is the day? And no, we cannot choose another day. This is my day. Remember the day that I chose. No, it's arbitrary. But when something is arbitrary between two people in a relationship, it's special to them and it has meaning to them. You could worship anybody. You can worship Buddha and Hare Krishna and whoever else on any other day. But on the seventh day, I'm saying that this is the sign that you are my people and you worship me on the seventh day. It may be arbitrary, but it has a special significance to me and my God that when I worship him on that Sabbath day, that I am saying that I have committed myself fully to him and I'm remembering who he is. So and so if, if you don't get anything else, I want you to get this. I want you to get this. I am by no means saying that the seventh day you are saved because you just go to church on the seventh day. Hear me as I'm saying this. Absolutely not. As a matter of fact, I'm convinced. And I'm going to say this. Y'all might be mad, but I'm going to say it anyhow. I am convinced that there are going to be a lot of people when Jesus returns who worshiped on the seventh day, the Sabbath day, who are ultimately going to be lost because they did not understand what the Sabbath was all about. They thought that they were showing something great to God just because they went to church on the seventh day of the week while their hearts were not fully committed to him. But only people who have fully surrendered to Jesus and his love and then understood that his Sabbath was the seventh day and decided to, to, to keep that commitment with him will ultimately be saved. That is what it truly means to keep God's Sabbath. And so as I close, as we understand what's happening in Revelation, I believe the seal of God in the context of the end of time is seen in the Sabbath day. Not just because I prove I'm right by keeping the Sabbath and that will mean I'm going to be saved. But more than that, I think those who are going to be sealed will know how to sing the song. What do I mean by that? See, sometimes people in a special relationship have their own song that reminds them of something special, much like an anniversary. And traditions on an anniversary remind people about a commitment that they have. Uh, people often have songs that are their songs. Uh, when I was pastoring in the Augusta, Georgia area, when I first started pastoring about 10 years ago, my wife and I, we were just dating at the time. We were in a long distance relationship. Boy, that was tough. And you see, I like music, but I'm a bit old school. You see, my parents didn't let us listen to everything growing up. So I grew up listening to Motown. That's all right with you. And I fell in love with the music of one Stevie Wonder. And I listened to all of his music, not just the hits. I would listen to the albums from the beginning to the end. And, and, I, and I learned to love this man's music. And when my wife would come out to visit me and I would never want her to leave, I would play this song from one of his albums, the end of the album fulfilling its first finale. And the song said, please don't go. No, no, no. If you go, 
I'll be sad and blue. So I say, no, 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 don't go away. And I would play that thing all the time and, and it would make me think of her. It became our song. And we would listen to it sometimes together when we were getting ready to part from one another. And it was an expression of how we felt. But then seven years ago, we got married and there was no more please don't go. But at the wedding, we had the song sung. Here we are on earth together. It's you and I. God has made us fall in love. It's true. I've really found someone like you. You and I, Stevie Wonder song. That was our song to speak to the reality of what happened between us. Now that song might not have much significance to you, but it did to us, the people in that relationship. And as I look at what happens in Revelation 7, as God looks for those he is going to spare from the final judgment and ultimately save, he tells the angel to seal those who he needs to protect from the final judgment. And I imagine the angel will, will ask, well, how will I know those who need to be sealed? And, and he'll explain, simple, they'll be the people who know how to sing our song. The ones who, in the midst of a wretched and sinful world, did not love their lives unto death. The ones who gave their all to me. The ones who, when confronted with the truth of what my seventh day Sabbath means and the reality that I want to share it with them, were willing to consummate this relationship by celebrating our anniversary together once a week and accepting God's Sabbath. When they did that, then I was ready to seal them because they had settled in to the reality of how much they need me. And then God will have the angels seal those people on their foreheads. Oh, but then I see over in Revelation chapter 14, the Bible tells me that the symbolic group of the redeemed who made it through the great tribulation, the end of earth's history, the 144,000 are now with the lamb in heaven. And the Bible says they sang as it were a new song. The Bible doesn't tell us the lyrics to this one because it said that only the redeemed could sing it. And I, I have in my imagination, if you'll just let me for a second, I have this feeling that the redeemed will like Stevie Wonder too. And after all that they've been through, they will say, I came to Jesus just as I was. I was weary and worn and sad. I found in him a resting place and he has made me glad. And then I believe that the chorus will go something like this. Signed, sealed, delivered. I'm yours and we'll have the opportunity as we've been sealed by God to celebrate his Sabbath in his presence. We won't have to be doing it from afar. We'll be able to stand before Jesus and cast our crowns at his feet and just begin to worship and say, Jesus, you're worthy of all the praise. Jesus, you're worthy. So I don't know about you. I don't know about you, but there are those, there are those, hear me as I close this out, there are those who have abused and downright abused the meaning of God's Sabbath. And it has caused a great many people to hate the Sabbath and the message of it. 
But I have a responsibility as a preacher of God's word to help people to see that, look, just because Satan attacked what God set up and messed up our anniversary, I want to call people back from that abuse and help them to see the beauty of what God set up for me. Look, I don't care what anybody else does, just like with me and my wife, if, if the members are gonna be calling or someone's coming and beating down my door on our anniversary, we're setting that time aside. Well, I feel the same way about my relationship with Jesus. Look, it don't matter what else is going on. If somebody else has abused it, don't allow somebody else's abuse to make you overlook the blessing that God gave to you. His Sabbath is a blessing. If you celebrate it legally, then it'll be a curse. But when you understand the meaning of it and what God set up as a time for you and I to be together with him, then you'll be able to say, I don't care what anybody else is going to do. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to remember his Sabbath day, not because we think it saves us or makes us better than anybody else, but because God set it up and he loves me. Oh, and, and God, I have that appointment to keep with you. I'm going to be there. And I hope by God's grace that you're going to be there, too, that, that you want to be there. Celebrating God's Sabbath with him on the sea of glass. I pray if you, if you want to be there, I pray you mash that like button. My message as we uh, bring this out this evening is this. See from God's word what it is that he has given to us. He's blessed us in the richest ways in what he has done in this sign of the Sabbath. Don't allow anyone else to take away what God has given to you. Do you believe God's word? I pray that you do. I'm going to pray as we close out this evening. Our Father and our God, we thank you so much. Oh, we thank you, Lord, for the gift of your Sabbath. I'm not ashamed to say it. I'm not ashamed to say that I love you, Lord, and I love the Sabbath that you gave to me. Not because it makes me better than anybody else. Not because I think the Sabbath died and, and paid the price on Calvary for my sins. I know it did not. I know Jesus Christ did that. But I also recognize, God, that you set this up, even at creation, as a sign to show me how much I need you. And each week when I celebrated, God, it reminds me of everything that you have made for me and provided for me in your son, Jesus Christ. So, Lord, I thank you for your son. I thank you, God, for the blessings of your Sabbath. God, I just pray that you would help us to understand more fully each day the gift that you have given to us and help us not to be ashamed to, Lord, follow that which you have given to us to keep that appointment with you, Lord. Help us all to be ready, Lord, to be able to stand, Lord, on Mount Zion one day and to be able to sing that song. Lord, we love you and we thank you. We ask these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen and amen. 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 Where's Pastor Scott at? Pastor Scott, I need you. Where's the sensei at? Sensei, I need you. What a powerful word tonight. Thank you, Pastor Andrew Nixon, for delivering such a relevant message. You made that the word of God live tonight. 
What great metaphors, what great conviction, what great power. I saw somebody put in the comment section, Sensei Dr. Doggett, that was an A plus, 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 plus message. <laughs> because tonight God's Holy Spirit truly did use you. Uh, Sensei and, and Pastor Scott, you know, we pray over the preachers who come through and deliver the word of God with power and faithfully do what God has commissioned them to do. And Andrew Nixon has done that tonight. As we prepare to pray over you, Andrew, we don't want you to leave yet. We need to pray mm -hmm. over you. I'm asking all of you viewers to go ahead and unite your faith with ours. And we're going to pray. But before we go to God in prayer, do you all have anything that you need to say? Dr. Dog and Pastor Scott, what's on your heart right now as this preacher just preached that word? I'll say, this. first of all, welcome to the team as a player of significance on the, uh, the Nixon preaching team. Come on. <laughs> Made of preachers. The Nixons are amazing preachers, man. You're a significant part of that team. A lot of people will string together cliches like fake pearls on a cheap necklace and call it a sermon. The bottom line is that what you did is you dug into the word of God. You brought in contemporary illustrations that we could relate to. And we got the message tonight. And I want to thank you for being honest, an honest preacher. Delivering what the word of the Lord has said. And I have a newfound respect and appreciation for the Sabbath. Mm. Preached it as a sign, mm -hmm. as a seal, and as righteousness by faith enacted. Mm -hmm. That was a perfect kind of message, especially for these times. Amen. I want to say thank you. Amen. 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 Doc, you 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 did everything today, man. You <clears throat> taught and you preached. You use biblical uh, uh, narrative as well as you brought it home. Whenever you start talking about your wife, man, I can relate. And so I appreciate the fact that, man, you just covered all the bases. And, hey, we know it's the Holy Spirit, man. And so we're just grateful, man, that you let God use you, man. We're grateful that you didn't come in your own strength, man. But we can tell you was prayed up before you came in this place. You prayed some before you came here and just delivered the word because God used you today. So thanks, man, for letting God do what he did for you. Let's pray. Let's us pray. through you. Absolutely. Let's go to God right now and pray. Father in heaven, we're praying right now for this man of God who preached the word with power and clarity this evening. We're grateful, Lord, because you opened up our understanding to see your Sabbath in a whole brand new light. And tonight we commit and surrender ourselves afresh unto you. And we want to pray for the preacher. We say thank you for his faithfulness. We thank, say thank you for him not just showing up, but for diving deep in the word and extricating the passages of scripture that he delivered tonight with, with power. And I'm praying, Lord, that you would please reward his faithfulness. I ask that you would pour your spirit upon him, that the anointing of your spirit would continue to rest on him, and that whatever his hand touches, it would prosper. I pray for blessings for his family. I pray that you would send resources from unexpected places. I pray for for his wife as she is currently carrying their child. I pray, Lord, that mm -hmm. you would continue to be with this pregnancy. I pray, Lord, that they would lack nothing. And we ask that they would continue to be a testimony. May we look to the Nixon family and see that you are good because mm -hmm. your grace is emanating from them. May their home be a piece <clears throat> of heaven on earth. I pray, Lord, that their prayers that they are asking, uh, praying about in their prayer closet would be answered. And I pray, Lord, that when all is said and done, this preacher who has preached the gospel will also be able to be saved, standing on that sea of glass. And what he described tonight with vivid language would be his reality. Mm -hmm. We pray for those of, 
us who were watching and want to be baptized, need Bible study, need special prayer. I ask, Lord, that you would please go by wherever they are, whisper sweet nothings in their ear. Allow us, God, to connect with them, to support them, and to provide whatever it is we can provide for them during their journey. And we say again, thank you for an amazing launch night into week three. You are good. Now mm -hmm. bless this preacher again, I pray in Jesus' name we ask it. Amen and amen. Amen. Woo. We're going to let you go. We know your family is there. And, and again, we appreciate you. Job well done. And if y'all who are watching receive the word, why don't you do this for me? Go ahead and press the heart button. Press the heart button. As a matter of fact, don't just press the, press the like button. Don't, no, no, no. Don't just press the heart and the like button. Why don't you share this message? Listen to me. Don't you be selfish with this word. Don't you eat all this good food and then go and sit idly like a statue in your home. You need to go ahead and in this moment become a digital evangelist. Why don't you knock on the door of somebody else's heart by merely pressing the share button? And again, Pastor Nixon, we appreciate you for coming through tonight. Y'all share this message. Listen, if you guys want to partner with us, because I know you didn't want to come and just get a good word. You want to receive the word and then respond. One of the ways you can respond is by sending a seed to the quarantine revival. Now, let me tell you everything that you send here is going to go toward a family who is struggling right now in financial crisis. Pastor Kagia Scott, Dr. Doggett, it is my pleasure and privilege to announce to you and you viewers that we have already given away over $6,000, all of that money that you've been pouring in to families who are desperately in need. And listen, there's some more people that we need to bless. There's some more people that you want to want to touch by being a faithful, a sacrificial and generous giver. And again, I want to remind you that 100% of what you give goes to help those who are in need. Why don't you do this for me, Dr. Doggett? Talk to the people about the, the benefit, the, 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 the blessedness of being a giver. Yeah, they've actually written books about it. There's one book in particular called The Helper's Eye. Mm -hmm. When you do something to bless someone else, forget the spiritual impact. Uh, it sends endorphins through your system yeah. and it makes you healthier and you feel better. It makes you feel high. So yeah. you get the helpers high when you do it. And in addition to that, you're blessed by God who has made a promise to us. Absolutely. You can send your money with the cash sign, the Q revival. That is the cash app, cash sign, the Q revival. And again, 100% of that money goes to help people who are in need. Don't hesitate to do it. It's an investment in kingdom work, and you're going to experience the helpers high, and someone else is truly going to be blessed. Ah, thank you for that. I want to also remind you that if you have a card, you don't have Cash App or PayPal, go to www.thequerevival.com and you can use your debit card, your credit card. And again, everything that you give will go toward helping a family who is struggling in this season. Man, Pastor Scott, I got to cut. I got to get you to come back, man. You came through with the energy tonight and we appreciate it. Doc, bring me back. <laughs> bring me back up in here, man. I listen, I always watch anyway on my devices, man, but just bring me back so I can be a cheerleader right here on the sideline. You can have me up in the stands, man, but I can't afford it, man. I'm up in the nosebleed seats, man. Bring me down here to the sidelines, man. Give me some pom poms, man, so I can sit here and cheer for what's going on, man. Because I'm telling you, y'all out here playing ball, man. Y'all out here <laughs> taking it to the house. I'm loving this, man. Let's Preaching go. the word of God.
Let's go. Well, how about this? Why don't you help me as we're preparing to close and play this outro? Go ahead and remind the people what they have in store for them this week. Man, listen, on tomorrow evening, you're going to have Richard Martin come up in this place. And we have, listen, I know I've been exposed to him. He's been on the revival before, but maybe you missed it the first time. I encourage you to go back and get it. But you can jump on board this moving train on tomorrow and catch Richard Martin preaching the word of God like nobody can. And on Tuesday, I'll just give you two days. On Tuesday, we got another friend of mine, Laurent Grosvenor. He's going, oh man, come on. I come can't on. say enough about this young man who has God has put him in places that he can reach out and do God's will. Man, I'm telling you every time I hear that boy preach I, I, I had to sit down. I had to think about whether I'm a true preacher of God's word or not. <laughs> Dr. Doggett, jump in and tell us about Wednesday and Thursday. Why would you have me do it? I like what Kagea is doing. Let keep rolling. That train is rolling down the track. <laughs> Kagea. All right. Well, how about this? On Wednesday, who do we have, Pastor Scott? Man, on Wednesday, we got Michael Kelly, man. Listen, he's a couple hours behind us, though. So, look, we might be tired because we just ate our dinners. But, man, it's not going to be 7 o'clock. It's going to be five, what 4 o'clock where he four is. So, he's going to be fresh, man. He's going to come up in this place and give us a word like we never heard before. And if you've never heard, listen, you better tune in if you haven't heard him before. I've heard several sermons, and I had to take some ideas like, man, I never thought of it like that. And he's going <laughs> to preach that word. Now, Roger Hernandez on let me tell you now this is a family man i love people that, that i love family men man like we just heard tonight they always come with some illustration from family life that i can relate to and roger hernandez is a true man of god and a family man that always gives good meat and yeah. i'm just excited that roger hernandez is gonna be here with us thursday i remember thursday used to be special thursday was a cosby <laughs> show night i remember how special thursday used to be but can i tell you thursday is special again because roger Hernandez is going to be in the house. Yeah. And so you all do not neglect your Thursday night at 7 o'clock on the QR Revival Prophecy Edition. And then, of course, on Friday night, we have none other than the president, President Leslie Pollard, the president of Oakwood University, my alma mater. That's uh -huh. actually where I believe Kagia Scott went to school. I believe Dr. Doggett went to school there. Uh -huh. And we have the representative, the one who calls the shots, the, the boss. We have none other than President Leslie Pollard. Dr. Pollard's going to be here on Friday night. And listen, ladies and gentlemen, on Sabbath, you do not want to miss it because we have another mystery night. This will be our third mystery night in the QR2 prophecy edition the second part of the quarantine revival you don't want to miss saturday night we have a mystery now some of you guys are already sitting let me go ahead and just take this off because some of y'all are looking at this a little too hard and i don't want you guys to to start doing it and you know what as, as a matter pastor pastor scott dr doggett i've already been receiving some emails people telling me i know who that preacher is and they're already submitting their vote can we please remind the people that it's not just the preacher you also got to guess the psalmist it's not one or it's both and you got to get you both of get them. them you gotta yeah. get them both. yeah and that's that's your salvation isn't it <laughs> it is you know you can stick out the singer if you choose to <laughs> listen i'm telling you right now that many of you who've already submitted your vote i, I gotta tell you that you already got it right like most of y'all know who that preacher is let's not play any games you know who's preaching on saturday night but we have a psalmist who we will